0: Welcome to YouNews, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Wednesday, April 7th, I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. As the murder trial against former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin continues, witness testimony painting the officer's treatment of George Floyd as unusual and in violation of department training. Despite a surge in coronavirus infections, vaccinations here in the U.S. catapulting forward. More than 107 million people over the age of 18 have now received at least one dose of the vaccine. And Customs and Border Protection now saying that families are willingly self-separating at the U.S.-Mexico border as the Biden administration opens yet another facility to house unaccompanied minors in California. This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. It's day eight of the trial of former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin, who stands accused of killing George Floyd. Expert witness Sergeant Jody Steiger continued his testimony today, with the prosecution attempting to cut to the heart of the defense's argument that then Minneapolis police officer Chauvin was following his training when he knelt on George Floyd's neck for over nine minutes.
1: Based on my analysis, Mr. Floyd never uh, was not actively resisting at the time that he was in the prone position, nor did he communicate to them that he was attempting to resist or evade them.
0: The defense also cross examined the LAPD's use of force expert. Let's go ahead and take a listen.
1: A handcuffed suspect can continue to present a risk. Based on that person's actions, yes. Right. And so once you have a suspect in the prone position and they continue to kick, it may require more force than if they were compliant, right? Yes.
0: Meanwhile, yesterday, one-by-one, one, veteran members of law enforcement took the stand, but the defense tried to turn those witnesses to their advantage. Senior police officers, including an instructor who trained Chauvin in the use of force, taking the stands for the prosecution. Prosecutors are working to convince jurors that Derek Chauvin's actions crossed the line and led to George Floyd's death.
1: Is this a use of force? Yes, sir.
0: Lieutenant Johnny Mercil, a use of force instructor who trained Chauvin in 2018, testifying the restraint Chauvin used on Floyd, went too far and violated department policy.
1: Would it be appropriate and within training to hold a subject in that prone restrained position with a knee on the neck and a knee on the back for an extended period of time after the subject has stopped offering any resistance? No, yes, sir or has uh, lost their pulse? No sir.
0: Witnesses went on to say that officers are required to deescalate situations.
1: We have the time to slow things down and reevaluate reassess.
0: Nicole McKenzie, a medical support officer for the Minneapolis PD, also taking the stand. The defense seizing this moment to make its case that the crowd gathering around the incident was a distraction and a threat, keeping Chauvin from rendering aid.
1: Have you ever had to perform uh, emergency services in a just not even a hostile crowd, just a loud, excited crowd? Yes. Is that, in your experience, more or less difficult?
2: It's incredibly difficult.
0: Overall, the defense maintains that Chauvin's actions were appropriate.
1: Does this appear to be a neck restraint? No, sir.
0: And argue that use of force depends on the situation. In other words, rules can be fluid.
1: There is no strict application of every single rule, agreed, or every single technique. That is correct.
0: An attorney for George Floyd's family says the testimony from these members of law enforcement could make a big impact on the case. They say overall it was compelling and showed that what Chauvin did was a serious offense. And now to Washington, where reports are emerging that Representative Matt Gates reportedly sought a blanket pardon from President Trump before he left office. The Florida Republican under investigation in connection with sex trafficking allegations. Edwin Piti has the very latest on this. Edwin.
1: That's right, Andrea. Another interesting twist on the case of Congressman Matt Gates, who is under investigation for allegedly having a sexual relationship with a 17-year-old girl and on whether he paid women for sex. New reporting from the New York Times saying that in the last weeks of Trump's term, Representative Gates saw something in return of his years defending the former president. According to the Times, Gates asked the White House privately for blanket preemptive pardons for himself and other congressional allies for any crimes they may have committed. And just now, former President Trump breaking his silence, issuing the following statement. Congressman Matt Gates has never asked me for a pardon. It must also be remembered that he has totally denied the accusations against him. It is important to know that the New York Times story says that Gates approached White House officials and that it was unclear if he talked directly to Trump about it. It was in the last weeks of the Trump administration when the Justice Department started questioning Gates Associates on whether he had a sexual relationship with a 17-year-old that violated sex trafficking laws. It is unclear if Mr. If Mr. Gates and the White House know at the time about the inquiry. But the time is reporting that White House lawyers and officials view his request for a preemptive pardon as a non started that would set a bad. So far, Gates has denied having sex with a 17-year-old or paying for sex, and his spokesman denied that he privately requested a pardon in connection with the Justice Department's inquiry. The congressman allegedly shared nude photos of his partners with other lawmakers, bringing back his track record on proposed legislation in Florida against the so-called revenge porn. Back when Gates was a state representative, the state passed a bill preventing people from sharing sexually explicit photos of their ex-partners online, and Gates was one of the just two House members who voted against it. Gates reportedly said that the time when a person gives an intimate photo to a romantic partner, the image becomes the property of the recipient. Meanwhile, Gates said in an op-ed in the Washington Examiner that he won't resign, That as Republicans on Capitol Hill are not defending him and await for the investigation to conclude. We are reporting live in Washington. Andrea, back to you.
0: Thank you, Edwin, for bringing us those uh, breaking developments. The CDC expecting nearly half of all U.S. adults to have at least one dose of the vaccine by this weekend. This as the Biden administration announces the so-called vaccination passports will not be a federal requirement. Lorraine Caceres has the latest on the pandemic here in the U.S. On World Health Day,
3: the director of the WHO delivering strong words about vaccination disparities around the globe.
2: Scaling up production and equitable distribution remains the major barrier to ending the acute stage of this pandemic. It is a travesty that in some countries, health workers and those at-risk groups remain completely unvaccinated.
3: Many countries in Africa haven't even started their vaccination efforts. A stark contrast from the situation here. A CNN analysis suggesting the US is administering doses nearly five times faster than the global average. And the president on Tuesday pushing the goal even further.
4: I'm announcing today that we're moving that date up from May 1st to April 19th nationwide. That means by no later than April 19th, in every part of this country, every adult over the age of 18, 18 or older will be eligible to be vaccinated.
3: The purpose is to have the vast majority of American adults vaccinated by the end of May. According to the CDC, by the end of this weekend, nearly half of all adults will have had their first shot. The administration also clarifying that vaccine passports will not be a federal government requirement. The government is not now, nor will we be supporting a system that requires Americans to carry a credential. Uh, There will be no federal vaccinations database and no federal mandate requiring everyone to obtain a single vaccination credential. As these tools are being considered by the private and nonprofit sectors, our interest is very simple, from the federal government, which is Americans' privacy and rights should be protected and so so that these systems are not used against people unfairly. Meanwhile, COVID cases continue to rise, now in 19 states, and deaths upticking in 21 states.
4: It's really a critical time right now because we could just as easily swing up into a surge. That would be a setback for public health, but that would be a psychological setback too.
3: Michigan leads the nation in new cases over the last week. The governor there getting her first dose of vaccine Tuesday. This as California gets back to business. The governor announcing the state is officially reopening.
4: With the expectation of an abundance of doses coming in from the federal government through the end of this month and into May, we can confidently say by June 15th, that we can start to open up as business as usual. Subject to ongoing mask wearing and ongoing vigilance.
3: And right now the CDC is projecting about 20,000 deaths less. And that is a stark contrast from our past few weeks when they were projecting a much higher number by May 1st. Right now, about 556,000 people have already died due to COVID-19. Back to you, Andrea.
0: Thank you, Lorraine, for that report. And in more vaccination news, Walgreens is adjusting the timing between doses of Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine. The drugstore chain has been giving the second dose a week after federal guidelines suggested. Walgreens says it will change that to meet the CDC's recommendation of three weeks between shots. Walgreens patients can have their second doses automatically scheduled when they make an appointment for their first shot. And as vaccinations continue some major news from the country's most populous states as we just heard California will fully reopen on June 15th. Gavin Newsom was the first governor to implement a lockdown due to the coronavirus pandemic last year but now California state health officials say they feel confident in reopening businesses and activities since infection rates are falling and there are low COVID-19 hospitalizations in that state. More than 20 million COVID-19 vaccine doses have been administered in the state of California and the state recently reported the lowest positivity rate in the country at 1.7%. That's drastically down from its peak of 17% in January, and as you heard the governor say, the mask mandate will remain in place. Meanwhile, the U.S. could see a tsunami of deaths caused by chronic diseases like heart failure and diabetes after the pandemic is over. And that's according to Robert Cliff, who is the FDA commissioner for former President Barack Obama. Tuesday, he wrote in an American Heart Association journal that chronic diseases could be the next big health hurdle. For the U.S., he also said that the U.S. was already dealing with an increase in deaths from heart conditions like stroke. He noted these deaths, when added to the deaths caused by the coronavirus and drug use, could cause a steep drop in the average U.S. life expectancy by as much as three years. A new study finds that one in three people who had COVID-19 may suffer longer-term brain disease. Researchers writing in the Lancet Psychiatry Journal say 34 percent of COVID survivors received a neurological or psychological diagnosis within six months of infection. Anxiety and mood disorders were the two most diagnosed. Conditions were more severe in hospitalized patients, but common in outpatients, too. THE STUDY EXAMINED ELECTRONIC HEALTH RECORDS OF MORE THAN 230,000 PATIENTS, MAKING IT THE LARGEST SURVEY YET. CUSTOMS AND BORDER PROTECTION SAYS SOME MIGRANT FAMILIES ARE SELF-SEPARATING IN MEXICO SO THEIR CHILDREN can cross into the US alone. Because of the influx of those crossing the border, the Biden administration has been following a Trump-era health law known as Title 42. It allows federal officials to expel migrants during the pandemic, but the government is allowing unaccompanied children to stay in US custody. From February 24th to March 23rd, Border Patrol saw 435 of these incidents in the South Texas region. And the City of Long Beach California is opening its convention center as a shelter for unaccompanied migrant children. The City Council unanimously approved the plan in response to a request from the federal government. The facility will be able to temporarily hold as many as a thousand children. Mayor Robert Garcia says they'll receive schooling as well as medical and mental health care. They'll also be connected with family members or sponsors. The federal government will fund the shelter. A new migrants' camp appears to be springing up just feet away from the International Bridge in Reynosa, Mexico. Hundreds of migrants, some newly arrived, others deported from the United States, have begun setting up tents and makeshift housing in that area. Jorge Hernandez brings us a closer look.
2: Everyone stands in a long line to get food that a church brings to this place every afternoon. In the morning, another organization brings breakfast to this plaza, but the number of migrants who practically already live here is increasing daily. We have no other option of where to go because they told us that it was quite dangerous here and that we couldn't move anywhere. Some began arriving a little less than a month ago, and since then, the number has been growing. Now they have set up tents, and improvised tents under the kiosk. They wash clothes and bathe themselves in a public facility, a few steps from the International Bridge in Reynosa. Among them is Sandra, a young mother with a 17-day-old child, who's firmly convinced that one day the U.S. borders will open. We're going to remain with God's help until the borders open and we can get through. We witnessed the moment when a group of people arrived from the International Bridge after they had been deported. They tricked us into getting on the bus. Supposedly, we were going to immigration, so they would take our case and they were lying to us. They just sent us here. Two weeks ago, Mexican authorities moved about 200 people to a nearby gym. They're using it as a shelter, but the plaza has filled up again. Most of the families do not want to move from here, thinking that they will probably solve their immigration situation with the United States, which we know is not going to happen. How long are you willing to wait here in this plaza? As long as it takes. Meanwhile, the influx of unaccompanied children crossing the border continues. U.S. Border Patrol agents found two abandoned children near the Rio Grande. The boys, 8 and 11 years old, were walking alone and had the telephone numbers of their relatives in the United States with them. Reported by Francisco Cobos in Reynosa, Mexico, this is Jorge Hernandez, U News.
0: More of U News after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The effects of COVID-19 will be felt for decades to come.
1: Both parties are very far apart.
0: Approximately 250,000 people have lost their lives. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. U News on Fusion. Welcome back to you news. In Southern California, yet another controversial death is being blamed on LAPD officers. Those officers responding to a burglary and police body cam capturing the deceased man's final moments. Here's Salvador Duran. Police
4: officers responded within minutes to a Los Angeles neighborhood where residents reported to 911 that the men captured on video scaling a chain-link fence and climbing down into the LA River Reservoir had been trying to break into some of the homes on the block. Yes, uh, I'm calling because there is a guy here trying to get in into houses in my neighborhood.
0: How do you know he's trying to get into houses?
4: Uh, he, he pushed my door, he knocked on my door, and now he's, he's doing it on the uh, neighbor. What's the address? He just, he just broke a window. The officers chased the suspect, but soon noticed that he was lying down on the concrete below and cut up to him within seconds. Hey, go on your stomach! As they approach the suspect on the ground and begin handcuffing him, the man, later identified as 37-year-old Daniel Rivera, begins resisting arrest. Another officer pinned Rivera down so his legs could be tied tightly with a Hubble device, a use of force justified by the LAPD.
1: The suspect
3: resisted being handcuffed and a use of force occurred, involving applications of a firm grip, body weight and taser activations.
4: But after the suspect was in custody, lying on the ground, he rapidly begins to lose consciousness and paramedics are called to help.
2: So look, I'm about to take your blood pressure, I'm about to check you out. Is there anything you want to tell me that you might have taken? It'll make this a whole lot easier.
4: But Daniel becomes unresponsive and goes into cardiac arrest and passes away at the scene. The incident occurred back on August 14th, 2020. But this week, the family filed a civil lawsuit in federal
2: court. LAPD officers used unnecessary and excessive force by tasing him while he was laying face down on the ground, posing no threat.
3: Vivir
4: con este dolor. Rivera's mom told News in Spanish that watching the video is all too painful and she will miss seeing her son being by her side. We also requested a statement regarding the lawsuit filed in federal court and we got a typical response from LAPD. They said that they simply don't comment on pending litigation. In Los Angeles, I'm Salvador Duran, News.